Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the question, do I have to love everybody? And if you remember, the answer was a little bit surprising. It was no, which some of you took much relief to. But the answer was only no, because the reach and the scope of our love is somewhat limited to those around us, to that direct circle, to the people that we have interaction with. It's only God that has the infinite reach and the supernatural ability to be able to love everyone all over the earth throughout all of history. And so we are limited in our ability to love to those in our circles, to our networks, to our churches. And we can expand that by giving money to missionaries so that they can love face-to-face But our biggest challenge is not in loving everybody through all of history. Our biggest challenge will always be in loving the people around us in our direct circles well. So there are a few people in our circles that we have to love that aren't always, that are within our circles. And I'm going to call the first group of people that we need to love the best of these. We have to love the best of these people around us. These are the people that it doesn't take a lot of effort to love. It doesn't take much energy to love. When we are with them, there is synergy. There is good talk back and forth between you and them. There are people that bring us life. There is good respect with one another. There is good good listening that happens with one another. It's not that hard to love the best of these around us. The second group that we have to love is a little bit trickier, and I'm going to call that group the most difficult of these. Do you have the most difficult of these in your life? These are the people that are kind of like vampires. They're with you and they just suck the life out of you when you're with them. That your energy and relationship tank just plummets as you're with them so quickly. And when you're with them, it's always a tricky dance as you navigate the discussion of potential disagreements or potential places where their unhealth impacts on you. On the very simple places, the most difficult of these are just people that we can't be around, but the most difficult of these can also be people in our life that become very toxic for us. And the most difficult of these around us could be fighting their own demons of addiction or criminal behavior and make it very difficult for us to be able to be with them or help them without enabling behavior in their lives. At times, the worst of these, or the most difficult of these, will involve moments of grace where we can come alongside and help, but we need to have boundaries so that we don't give in to every demand. In some moments, it may involve bringing in people for our own protection or our own help, because this particular or that particular person is just too toxic to be around. It may sometimes require saying to the most difficult of these, I do love you, and it's because I love you that I cannot do what you are asking me to do. I think these are the most complicated of relationships for us to navigate through now. I think in my counseling, one-on-one with people, it's the topic that comes up most of all. How do I love somebody who I can't enable them, I can't be around them because they're too toxic for me and too toxic for our family? That sometimes the best we can do is just pray for them, knowing that we can't have that face-to-face or that one-on-one contact. And finally, the third group that will be called to love 
And Jesus used this term as the least of these. We love the best of these. We have to love the most difficult of these, but also the least of these. He says in Matthew 25, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The stranger, the widow, the immigrant, the neighbor far from God, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the sick, the abandoned, the naked, the addicted. These groups will always be in our circles to love. We're going to have to find ways to love the best of these, which isn't always that tricky. We're going to have to find ways to love the most difficult of these around us. And always the least of these, which is the list that Janet talked so much about today. And so in this series, our hope is that our capacity to love each other is increasing. So today we're going to look at Paul's description of love when Paul says that love is not rude. Now, rude is a good translation of the Greek, but there's a little bit more of nuance to this Greek word that's translated rude in English. And so a couple other ways of learning this word would be that love does not behave unseemly. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not behave unbecomingly, like unbecoming of an officer, unbecoming of a Jesus follower. Love does not behave dishonorably. And so love does not act in an unbecoming way as a follower of Jesus. John MacArthur, who did great work on this text of rudeness, he says, the principle here has to do with poor manners, with acting rudely. It does not care enough for those around to act becomingly or politely. It cares nothing for their feelings or their sensitivities. The loveless person is careless, overbearing, and often crude. Lewis Smedes, he'll say this about rudeness. He says that arrogance drives us to be rude with people who have nothing to offer us, nothing to help us look good. He says we're often rude to the people that we consider below us or under us or have nothing to offer. Philosopher Eric Hoffer, he says that rudeness is this, is that rudeness is the weak person's imitation of strength. That I can exert my force, my voice, my gestures upon this person to show a strength that I may not have or may be compensating for a lack of. Rudeness comes out with a foul mouth and in the way that we speak. Rudeness can be inappropriate use of a particular finger. Rudeness can be pushiness. Rudeness will show very little regard for another person's space or for their property. Rudeness has no hesitation to talk over the voice of another. Rudeness can come out in our voice and in our words and in our tone and in our body language. Rudeness can be raising our voice when it should not be raised. Rudeness can be trying to be the loudest voice to influence the room towards your opinion. Rudeness does not let another finish a sentence and often interrupts with its own points. Rudeness is often so focused on being right that it'll shout others down. Rudeness raises the tension in the room. Rudeness says things under our breath while we leave in a huff. Rudeness 
is failing to understand where another person is coming from. And as I started to put together that fairly unpleasant list, I started to think rudeness is much bigger in scope than I thought of it as a kid. That as a kid, rudeness just centered around the dinner table. You know, it centered around politeness. You say please and thank you and say good things about mom's dinner, even if it wasn't her finest work. You made sure that you used your utensils and silverware in the right way and didn't eat with your hands. And I still remember many conversations in our house where my mom and dad were on me to use my fork and spoon and knife in the right way because they said, when you go on dates, you can't use your fork and knife and spoon in the wrong way. You can't eat with your hands when you're out with a girl in the future. Little did they know that eating with silverware would be the absolute least of my problems when it came to dating. But they really focused in on that one for some particular reason. And so I felt like I was good on the rudeness thing. Say thank you, say please, don't burp after dinner, don't talk loud at a restaurant, be nice to the person at the checkout line. And so when Paul writes, love is not rude... He's pointing to a much bigger problem in churches and in relationships in Corinth. MacArthur, he says this about the Corinthian church. He says, the Corinthians were models of unbecoming behavior. Acting unseemly was almost their trademark. Nearly everything they did was rude and unloving. That's like not something to put on your website. You know, nearly everything that we do at our church is rude and unloving. So come for the times that it's not. You know, that's not a great selling point. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, we learn that there's quarreling among who the better leader is. That some people in Corinth really liked Paul and others like Apollos. And they went back and forth quarreling about who was the better leader. They didn't ask Well, what do you like about Paul? Why do you think Apollos was the better leader? What is it that Apollos does that makes him such a good leader? Instead of understanding, they quarreled and were combative about their differences. We see later in chapter 1, the Jewish people and the Greek people are divided. The Jewish people wanted signs from God and the Greek people wanted wisdom. And it put the two groups at odds. At odds, And Paul says, we don't preach signs and wonders, and we don't preach secular wisdom. We preach the crucified Christ. And so focused on preaching the crucified Christ and not signs and wonders and not secular wisdom. In chapter 3, we see again this divide between the two groups. And eventually Paul says to them, in your division, you're acting like human beings. And that wasn't a good line. That wasn't a good thing. It says you're acting like every other human being when they disagree and when there are differences. And he reminds them, but you are not like other human beings. You are of Christ. It makes you different. Different in the way that you approach differences. Different in the way you approach quarrels. Different in the way you interact with one another. Different in the way that you function as a church together. Different in a way that you interact in a marriage together and with your brothers and with your sisters and with your parents. That Paul would concede that conflict and disagreements and human differences are all normal. 
But for the Christ follower, we are not to approach these in the same way that the world does. The other day, I had to call the bank um, because they had messed something up. Um, A million dollars disappeared from my account. So I needed to know where that was. No, that, that wasn't it. And I, I called the bank, and they have to authenticate who you are to make sure that you're the right person calling. And so the first question was very normal. Do you recognize any of these addresses? And I says, yes, I lived at that address. The second question, do you recognize any of these vehicles? Yes, I recognize that vehicle. I don't know how you had that information, but yes, I recognize that vehicle. And the third question was, are you familiar with a person named Peter Eck? And I said, yeah, that's my cousin. Well, can you tell me how old Peter is? Like, what? You want to know how old my cousin is? I, and I said to myself, I, I don't know how old my cousin is. I know that he's not 50, but I'm not sure if he's in his late 20s or in his early 30s. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to have to pass on that question. Can you go to the next one? And he said, no, sir, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I need to know how old Peter is. So for clarification, I said, so you won't help me unless I tell you how old my cousin is, which is not even a question I put down for you to ask me. And he said, sorry, sir, I can't help you unless you know that information. And I tried my best to not be rude in that moment. But, but I think I might have been. I think maybe there's a chance that I was rude in that moment. Because then I said, Do you know the ages of all your cousins? (laughs) I have 12 cousins. I don't have them all memorized. Do you? That may have been a slightly combative question in that moment that he refused to answer, by the way. And I went on to share information about my cousin. I said, I know he's 6'4". I know he likes to play Frisbee. I know what profession he's in. Are any of those things good enough to authenticate me? That may have been a little rude because I was trying to manipulate him and then not doing his job. And then I tried to pull on his heartstrings a little bit. I said, I just don't know if I like these questions about cousins. Like, what if I'd been estranged from my family? What if I never saw that side of my family because of some long-term family dispute? It just seems like questions about cousins should be off-limits when it comes to bank authentications. And he didn't buy that either. He just said, sorry, sir. And at that point, I'm very frustrated. And I'm proud because I did not swear out loud. And I said, so you're telling me I have to guess my cousin's age, and if I get it right, I'll have access to my account, and I'll get the money. But if I get it wrong, you're going to lock my account and take all my money. A little sarcasm at the end. And I felt like I was on a game show, that I was sitting across from Regis Philbin trying to think about what the answer to this question was. And so I said, okay, I'll guess that he's 30 And I think music played in the background and some of the lights in the house shifted to build suspense. And he just paused for a minute. I'm sorry, sir, that's not correct. (laughs) And at that moment, I probably did get a little bit rude. 
Because I said, you've got to be kidding me. Just because I don't know my cousin's age, you can't help me. Is there something I can do? I'm only calling because it was your mistake. And he said, well, I can push you to a higher level of authentication. I said, what could be higher? My great uncle's, you know, birthday, my great-great-grandmother's death day or my anniversary day with Rochelle? Like, what constantly could be a harder question than what you already asked me. And as working on this sermon, I started to think that the point of that story is not, don't, you know, that we need to be nice to bank people or people on the phone. Yes, we need to be. But the point is all the little techniques that were rude in that conversation. You know, I didn't listen and often tried to talk over him. I was combative in words and ideas. I interrupted and raised my voice to be able to get my way. That when Paul says, love is not rude, he's telling the church and he's telling us in our relationships to those we are friends with, to those who are in marriages, to those who are brothers and sisters, in the everyday conflicts and disagreements and differences that will happen on a day-to-day basis, love needs to be the way that we approach them. We cannot be rude in those moments like the Corinthians did. And so, yes, we need to be kind to those that we run into on a day-to-day basis, But love is not rude, is meant for our closest circles, is meant for our friendships and for our marriages and for how we treat our brothers and our sisters and how we treat those inside the church. And so a couple practical things to kind of check our rudeness a little bit. And the first one is this, is do I seek to understand what the other is saying. I think so many times we get stuck in conversations because we want to respond to what we think the other is saying instead of what they're really saying. And so we respond to what we wanted them to say or what we think that they said from our eyes rather than what they did say. And working with couples in pre-marriage counseling or couples after marriage or after their marriage, this is one of the biggest divides communication-wise that happens between couples is that they don't take the time to truly understand what the other is saying. And I tell them about an exercise. I said, you have to do an exercise like this where you actually allow the person to speak and then the other person responds repeats back word for word what the person just had. And so when one person says, you know what, I don't like it when my spouse leaves old food in the refrigerator and doesn't throw it away. Instead of responding with, well, we got to keep the old food because the Lord knows there's no new good food coming into the house. That's not a good way to respond in that moment. But to say, okay, what I hear you saying is that you don't like when I just leave old food in the refrigerator. And all of a sudden, it gives a baseline for continuing the conversation. Conversations escalate and get rude very quickly if we do not seek to understand what the other is saying. And so if communication in a friendship, in a relationship, in a marriage, in a church... You just see it escalating so quickly. Start to use this technique of just repeating back what the person said to you so that you are truly understanding. Second thing is this. 
is, am I trying to win by being the loudest? That it's rude to try and win an argument by being the loudest and by being the angriest. Being loud or being angry is a great way to manipulate a moment. That's what my girls do. That they enter into a conversation, they'll get angry and loud to manipulate the moment. But it's a rude way to treat somebody that we're close to, a rude way to treat somebody that we love. And so good to ask ourselves, when I'm with family or friends or siblings or parents or church people, is my strategy often to just be the loudest so that it either stops everybody from arguing or creates such an argumentative culture that nobody wants to participate and you just end up getting your way by default. That this is commonly used by people to get their own way, but it's a rude way of interacting with one another. The third question to ask ourselves is, do I pause before speaking? That James wrote this to the early Christians trying to figure out their relationships. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. That do I have the ability to pause in the midst of a conversation that is elevating in intensity and be able to pause and bring it back to say something that's productive and helpful and loving? You may need to disagree with what you say. You may need to counteract an argument of theirs. All that is still in play. But is it done after a pause where we have some time to truly think about what we want to say? The next one, and this is one that we can all just kind of assess on our own, is do my words often get me into trouble? Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Those who are careful with the way that they speak, careful with their words, careful with their tone, they guard themselves against escalating arguments. Those who are careful with their words, careful with the way that they speak, they guard themselves from hurting other people, from being unloving. Do your words often get you in the trouble with people in stores, with family, with friends, with your spouse? with your brother, with your sister, if your words often get you into trouble, it's time to confess that before God and ask God to help you with that, to grow and be productive in conversations in new ways. So what Bethany has done is that as a church, we've recognized that conflict is just a normal part of our relationships. It's part of our churches. It's part of our marriages. It's part of our friendships. And so Bethany has created what we've kind of called ways that we're going to be with one another when we disagree. And I think marriage, married couples need this. I think friendships need this. Families need this. To know that when we disagree or when there's conflict, that there's a common set of understandings and a common set of behaviors that we will return to in the midst of those things. So as a church, we said, when we disagree, the first thing that we're going to do is pray. And we're going to pray for three reasons. Is we're going to pray to stay in step with God's will and direction because this is God's church. 
And it's always God's church. Your family is God's family. Your kids are God's kids. And so we pray because we always want to stay in step with God's will and direction because everything that we work for is for God. Second thing we pray for is we pray for God's wisdom in every activity and every venture so that we don't just rely on human wisdom, but we listen to the wisdom of God when there's conflict and disagreement. The third thing we pray for is we pray to love. We pray for one another in love. I've said it a couple times in this series that it's hard to have an enemy or to hate somebody that you're praying for on a regular basis because you're praying for their goodness. You're praying for God to be active in their lives. So that's the first word. We pray, and then we pray for those three things. The second word is that we live for unity. We unite. And we say our first point is that when we don't understand each other, we seek to understand with humility. That we'll seek to understand with a posture of humility and say to our spouse, say to our friend, say to our brother, sister, mother, or church member, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Can you explain it to me a little bit more. Maybe I'm just missing something. We seek to understand with humility. The second part of Unite is when we disagree, we seek peace and we don't create factions. That Rochelle, when Rochelle and I disagree, I don't get like Ashlyn and say, oh, your mother, she's driving me crazy. Ashlyn, I need you on my side in this argument. And then Ashlyn and I march in to demand our way. Like, we don't create factions in our households that way. But certainly in our families, how many times do we say, if I can get this brother, this uncle, this parent on my side to do my thing. Or we do that in church, or we do that in the workplace. When we disagree, we have to seek peace rather than just building a team so that we can get our way done. The third part of Unite is that when we get anxious, which is often in the midst of conflict, is that we say we're going to take a deep breath, we're going to pause And we're going to respond with a good-heartedness. The third part of our relational covenant together when we disagree is that we're going to relate to everybody with love and with grace. And so we choose from James 1.19, we're going to choose listening and respectful conversation over anger and gossip. We're going to make sure that listening is always the first place that we go. The second thing in this part of the list is that we will choose to forgive one another because we have been forgiven. We will forgive one another because we have been forgiven. No relationship will work without the words, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Without that pattern in a relationship, friendship, marriage, those relationships are going to have a hard time sustaining without those words, I'm sorry and I forgive you. And then lastly, in our relationships, we say as a church is that we seek to build each other up and not tear each other down based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. That rudeness is way beyond just politeness. It's way beyond just being nice to a server or nice to somebody at a checkout kind line. Love that is not rude listens. Love that is not rude seeks to understand. Love that is not rude uses language to build up. Love that is not rude is not crude in its humor or in its joking. Love that is not rude 
seeks to listen and understand and seek the good of everybody involved. Let us pray. Lord, I um, dive into your scriptures like this and I realize how much work I have to do in my own life. And so, Lord, for the times that I have been rude and have tried to be the loudest voice or said things in a crude way or insulted with words, I ask your forgiveness for me. Forgive me as a dad and as a husband and as a pastor and as a man when rudeness has gotten in the way of loving other people. Lord, I pray for those in this congregation that through your supernatural ability by the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work that only you can do, combined with their deep honesty about the places that they've fallen short, that the combination of our repentance along with your saving and unbelievable and supernatural grace will allow our capacity to love each other increase over and over. Lord, I pray in our marriages that our capacity to love our spouse will grow, our capacity to love our kids and aunts and uncles and brothers and church growers, goers will grow. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.